0: You don't roll out of bed on Monday mornings humming this tune, right? No, I. Mondays are always kind of hard. Uh, when you when you have a regular job and like getting up at four fifteen, that's the one that kind of gets to me. I get up at four fifteen every day on work days, and you're almost never ready to climb out of bed at four fifteen. At least I'm not. Anyway. We've made it through the day, and now it's Monday afternoon, Monday evening in many places. And uh, it's not so bad, right? Hi, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. So happy to have you, on. So happy to have you, along. And uh, on Mondays, we play a comedy. We do that by design, you know, because we know that you don't need a heavy drama on a Monday. No, no, no. You need something to perk you up, something to lighten the load. And so that's why we give you a very good comedy, a classic old-time radio. That's why we call this the best old-time radio podcast. I'm not saying it's the best podcast. I'm saying we play the best old-time radio. Band. And uh, that's what we're going to do for today. So, settle down. Get over there in that big easy chair, prop your feet up, get yourself a little snack, maybe a little warm beverage, or a cold beverage, or an adult beverage, whatever is your pleasure. And uh, settle back and let the cares of the day drift away, because we're coming right back at you with this week's old-time radio comedy.
1: Monday, Monday,
2: can't trust that day, Monday, Monday It just turns out
1: that
0: Something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy
1: tonight
3: Nothing with kings, nothing with clowns Bring on the lovers, liars and clowns No ah! oh, situation, new complications Nothing portentous or polite Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight <laughs>
0: All right, for our comedy corner today, we are going to visit that nice couple that lives at 79 Wistful Vista. We are going to go back to an earlier episode of Fibber McGee and Molly that was first broadcast on NBC on uh, March the 5th, 1940. Now, there are a couple of, I think, somewhat historical things that happened on this particular episode. and and or uh, on Fibber McGee and Molly in 1940, but this particular episode was really significant and really a milestone, really, really, because it introduced the closet, the hall closet. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Chester goes, oh, yeah, this was the first time that somebody opened the hall closet and everything came tumbling out. So this is the setup for all of that. So I just uh keep that in mind that you are hearing this. If if you were listening to this show back on March the 5th, 1940, you would be hearing that for the first time. And of course that became one of the favorite favorite recurring gags on Fibber McGee and Molly. And people still talk about Fibber's closet, Fibber's hall closet. Uh, what else? You'll notice in this one, Molly still has a little bit of an Irish accent. That slowly went away as the show developed. Uh But they'd already been doing the show for many years by this time. So I was a little surprised that she still had that much of it. It's not that she really had an Irish accent. It's that when the show first started, Molly uh was supposed to, you know, she was supposed to be like an Irish immigrant, although she was from Peoria. So uh I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. Since my wife's from Peoria, they often mention many uh, familiar places to us because we actually lived there for a short time after we were married. What else can I tell you about this one? Oh, the great Gildersleeve is on this one. Uh, Hal Peary makes an appearance, as he did regularly. But this would have been the last year for Gildersleeve because uh, the next year, 1941, he would leave the show to spin off his own show, The Great Gildersleeve. So that is significant. And, uh, oh, there's also a surprise appearance by a uh, mystery guest, shall we say. And that'll happen, and it'll be very obvious when it does, and we'll talk a little bit about that on the other side of the show. So enjoy this one. This is entitled uh Cleaning... Fibber's Closet. It was first broadcast in March 1940 on NBC, Fibber McGee and Molly.
3: The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax. Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow coat present presents Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, the King's Men, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Shine. <laughs> Once again, it's Fibber McGee and Molly time. Fibber McGee and Molly. The dramatic story of a woman with her faith in a man. And a man with his faith in a newspaper. Will something exciting, unusual, or momentous take place in the little frame house at 79 Wistful Vista tonight? Or is that expecting too much? Yeah, I guess it's expecting too much. Anyway, here they are, Vibber McGee and Molly.
4: Anything interesting in the paper, dearie?
2: Well, here's an interesting article on crop surpluses, Molly. You don't say. Yeah. Now, take Mm -hmm. corn, for instance.
4: Certainly. We can take it and we can dish it out. (laughs) Hey,
2: I'm serious. This writer says that if conditions keep up... The small farmer will be completely annihilated. Oh. Hey, uh, what's annihilated?
4: Annihilated. Uh, Why, that means, uh, well, uh, when a farmer... Uh, well, now, for instance... Uh, uh, Where's the dictionary? It's probably in the closet with the rest of your stuff. Give me your key and I'll get it for
2: you. Oh, no, you don't. You lay off the stuff in that closet. I got all my stuff arranged in there just the way I want it.
4: Now, don't be silly. Give me the keys.
2: Ah, uh, okay Now let's see Which one of these Is it long?
4: Heavenly day Why do you carry All those keys? Does it make you Feel important or something?
2: What do you mean Important? Every one of them keys Is necessary
4: What's that little key There for?
2: Well, uh That's a padlock key
4: What padlock?
2: Oh, for, the, for the backyard gate We used to have in Peoria <laughs>
4: What are you keeping that for, you homesick?
2: No, but if we ever moved back to Peoria, I'd try to rent the same house because this key fits the padlock there. (laughs) got to think ahead in these things. And you see this key here?
4: Looks like the key to a can of salmon.
2: Nope, sardines. <laughs> I use that to clean my pipe with. Oh, I
4: see.
2: Now, let's see, which one of these keys is the closet door key? So
4: yeah, you... uh, maybe we better see if the closet is locked. Let me take a look. Oh,
2: it's locked, one. all right. You don't think I'd leave all my personal defect laying around for any power to get his hands on? Uh,
4: McGee, it isn't locked. see you... uh, all falling out. McGee, I'm buried alive. Get this junk off
2: of me. All right, but Dad Raddick, you might have been more careful quick, with...
4: Quick, There's funny little insects all over me. Brush them off, quick! Oh, calm
2: yourself, calm yourself. Them are my trout flies. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it, Molly, why did you have to go and mess up? Oh, dear,
4: come in. River McGee and Molly? Yes. Uh, tell me, with
2: all these radio shows being changed, is it true that you're going to cut your program down to a half hour? What do you mean, cut it down? It's only a half hour now. What? Boy, it sure seems like an hour.
1: <laughs>
2: well, as the guy says when he fell off of the horse and heard something bust, that sounded to me like a rib.
4: <laughs> well, never mind that now. Ah, dear, oh, dear, look at all this junk that fell out of that closet. Don't
2: worry, I'll put it back, Molly. Oh,
4: no, you won't. Huh? We're going to go through that pile of whatnots and throw everything out we don't need.
2: Oh, yeah? Well, I've been through this stuff a hundred times, and there ain't a thing of it that I can spare. Oh, there isn't? No.
4: What's this old rusty horseshoe for? Well, I found
2: that in 1911. (laughs) As soon as I find three more, we can pitch horseshoes in the backyard.
4: (laughs) I see. You expect to find three more. I huh? betcha. You don't think the automobile is here to stay,
2: eh? <laughs> Won't be if we don't catch up with the payments.
4: Hi, Mister. Oh, hello there, little girl. What you want? You remember that job you promised me to take care of your baby, only you didn't have one, so I was gonna bring my little brother over and take care of him, remember? Who hmm, do you who? Hmm? <laughs> yes, yes, sure I remember well, but I... well well the deal is off, see.
2: What do you mean the deal is off? In the first place, there wasn't any deal, and in the second... My th-
4: mommy had to take my little brother to the doctor today, so I can't bring him over.
2: Oh, that's too bad. Mm-hmm. What's the matter with your little brother? Anything serious?
4: My mama thinks so. Oh. <coughs> she thinks so. Uh... Mm, she thinks so. I had to clear my circle. She thinks he swallowed a dime. <laughs>
2: Swallowed a dime, we'll say That is serious
4: Oh, no, it isn't
2: Oh, yes, it is
4: Oh, no, it isn't Oh, yes, it is Oh, he didn't swallow a dime, I bet you Huh? It was only eight cents
2: <laughs> <laughs> Only eight cents? How do you know?
4: Well, we were, we were playing slot machine And I fed him to him <laughs> What you doing, mister? Well, we're
2: cleaning out this closet, if you must know. I mustn't. Mustn't what? No. No? Yes. What?
4: Hmm? Oh.
2: <laughs> Listen, sis, suppose you go on home and annoy somebody else. Go bother your daddy.
4: He isn't home. He's working on the samplet.
2: <laughs> on the what?
4: The samples. He goes to people's doors and asks them how many people in the family and how old are you, and all stuff like that. There, I betcha.
2: Oh, you mean the census? Hmm? <laughs> Chuck, I didn't even think a kid your age knew what a census was.
4: Well, I do, I betcha. Yeah? A census is information, please, on the Red, White, and Blue Network. da, 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 da. Thank you. Imagine all this stuff falling out of one little closet How'd you ever get it all in there?
2: Oh, I don't know I guess I just inherited a gift for packing Hmm. My great Aunt Minnie had a job Stuffing cementos into olives (laughs) Oh, hey, look at this, Molly The tabaret I made in manual training
4: Hmm. Yeah. Didn't you ever finish anything? It's only got three legs
2: (laughs) They wouldn't let me stay in the fifth grade another year
4: (laughs) Ah, McGee, look one of our old dance programs before we were married. Uh, I didn't know you were so sentimental, dearie. Is that a dance program?
2: I was saving it on account of that little pencil hanging onto it.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you never know when you'll need a pencil.
4: Uh, listen to this. Waltz, Waltz, Curtain Trot, Waltz, Bunny Hugs, Waltz, Texas Tommy, Waltz.
2: What, no shottish?
4: Grizzly <laughs> <laughs> Bear, Waltz. Grizzly Bear, Ah, you had every dance with me but the last one. McGee, who did you dance that one with?
2: (laughs) Why, nobody. We sat that one out. In the buggy, remember?
4: Oh, Oh, yes. And we couldn't go back to the dance because you sat on a box of Lowney's chocolate-covered cherries and spoils your white pants.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was the night that took the... Come in.
4: Johnny, hello, daughter. Say, I'm looking for a nice room in the neighborhood. Got one to rent? No, I don't believe so, Mr. Old Oh, come
2: on, kid. I'll pay three bucks a week with meals, or two bucks a week and eat out. Or two and a half if you leave me see the funny paper first on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing doing, Old Timer. We ain't taking borders.
4: See? Absolutely not.
2: The last boarder we had was a tap dancer. It kept me awake all morning. <laughs> I finally got tired of it and knocked him cold with one of his steel-plated shoes and stuffed it into his own trunk.
4: Hey. <laughs> Incidentally, McGee, where did you ship that trunk? Off to Buffalo. <laughs> wow!
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, that's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard it. The way I heard it.
2: One fellow said, tell a us, fellow... Us. Hey, he hey, says. see where Scarlet O'Hara got the Academy Award. Yep, says Tulla She lost out with Rhett, but she sure got her Oscar.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I'm sorry you ain't got a room for me. Slept in the park all last summer and didn't like it. The roof leaked. <laughs> Come on, <Sam. laughs> oh. A little tired of all them gone with the wind gags. Yeah. I don't know how a picture about the bluegrass country could produce so many bum plugs. <laughs>
4: Well, never mind that, McGee. Isn't there any of this junk we can throw away now? Well,
2: now, let me see, Mommy. How about this old photograph album here?
4: I should say not. That's got all our family pictures in it. Who's this funny-looking man with the walrus mustache, McGee? Oh,
2: that's my great Uncle Roscoe. We were pretty proud of Uncle Roscoe. He was the first white child in the county to be blackballed by the Elks.
4: Ah, here's one of me Aunt Ed and Aunt Carrie. They both had big families. How many kids do they have, anyway? Ten between them. Add six and carry four. (laughs) (laughs) McGee, now, what are you going...
3: Well, hello there, folks. I was just going by and I thought I... Well, what goes on here? Have you been buying out an antique store? Hi, Harlow.
4: Uh, This is just a lot of stuff McGee's been hoarding in the closet, Mr. Wilcox.
3: Isn't it wonderful how much you can pack into so little space? Uh Uh-oh. For instance, you only give me about six lines to tell how Johnson's Glow Coat saves hours of house cleaning because it beautifies and protects linoleum with absolutely no rubbing or buffing. But in those six lines, I think I can get the idea across pretty well that a self-polishing preparation like Glow Coat is the very essence of good housekeeping. Oh, it's so easy to use that it's easy to tell about.
2: Eating wow. marvelous, folks. That guy has dedicated his whole life to Johnson's Glow Coat.
3: What do you mean, Pepper?
2: Harlow, well, they tell me that way back when you were in college, they wanted you to stroke the crew, and you said no, no stroking, no rubbing, and no buffing.
1: <laughs> Even
2: for dear old University of Southeastern
3: Nebraska.
4: <laughs> Is that true, Mister
3: Wilcox? No, no, I wasn't the crew man. I went out for ROTC. Oh, Reserve Officers Training Corps? No, revolutionizing old-time cleaning. Uh... Well, so long, folks. <laughs> Back to there,
2: McGee. Yeah. As the golf ball says, when it landed five feet from the tee, I think I've been caught. Well, let's get busy, Molly, and put this stuff back into closet.
4: You mean um, you're going to keep all this junk? Can't we throw any of it out?
2: No, sir. I got a use for every one of these things.
4: Now, you don't need this, do you? Uh, what good is one snowshoe? Why, One what? Snowshoe. Is that a snowshoe?
2: Well, shucks, no wonder Billy Mills beat me so bad playing tennis. <laughs>
4: uh, Come in.
2: Hi, sis. Can we... Oh, hey, Molly. Look. It's Gracie Allen.
4: Hello, Gracie. Won't you come in? Oh, no, thank you, Molly. And I wouldn't have dropped in if I'd known you were entertaining. Oh, we ain't entertaining. Oh, you are, too. I think you're very entertaining. Now, you say something nice about Georgie and me. Oh. T.M. Yeah. Well, I heard, Gracie, that the difference between our shows is that yours is always in the middle of the week, and ours is always weak in the middle. Oh. (laughs) Gracie, what's this I hear about you running for president of the United States? Oh, there's nothing to it. Oh, you mean you're not running for president, huh? Oh, I mean I'll be elected. There's nothing to it.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah? Well, I ain't one to indulge in no idle gossip, Gracie. But I've heard whispers about Dewey and Hall and Garner and Taft being in the White House next year. But I suppose they're just rumors.
4: They are not. I'll be running in the White House, and I'm not going to take in any rumors. (laughs) What's your party, Gracie? Oh, well, it's my own party, the surprise party. Oh, what an adorable name, dear. Oh, I'm so glad you like it. Well, you can count on our votes, Gracie. I always said there should be a woman in the White House. How about Mrs. Roosevelt? She's never in the White House. (laughs) (laughs) Do you play bridge? No, I don't. Grace. Oh, that's too bad. I'm forming my cabinet, and I need seven more bridge players.
2: <laughs> How big a cabinet you going to
4: have? Just two tables. <laughs> you need a good pool player? Well, no, I'm having the pool table taken out. The eight ball gets in front of too many people. <laughs> By the way, Gracie, uh, when do you expect to move into the White House? January 1st. January 1st? Mm-hmm.
2: You ain't going to be inaugurated on New Year's Eve, are you?
4: Well, I may not be inaugurated, but I'll be feeling pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess I'll be running along now. Well, I'm glad you dropped in, Gracie. You think you can handle your campaign all right?
2: Oh, yes,
4: I can handle my campaign. Oh, the bubbles always tickle my nose a little bit. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Dalton. don't forget my slogan. Zate the right house with Zatey. Good night. <laughs> the
2: Kingsmen sing... Capuzum,
1: Capuzum, Capuzum was the daughter of the fire.
3: In ancient days, there lived a Turk, a horrid beast within the east, who did the prophet's holy work as Baba of Jerusalem. He
1: had a daughter, Sweden, Turk, a maiden with flaming head, head and all the the bother like a Turk, except her name, Kapuzalum, oh, Kapuzalum, oh, Kapuzalum, Kapuzalum, the daughter of the Baba, the Baba, the Baba, zoom, 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 zoom.
3: A boy resided near to she. His name was Sam, a perfect lamb. He was of ancient pedigree and came of old Manu the lamb. He drove a trade and prospered well and got his saxon, jots and flaxon, ringing at the barber's bell. He met, he loved, he wooed, he
1: won. Cafoozalum, the daughter of the Baba Jerusalem. Oh Manu the lamb, oh Cafoozalum, the lovers were discovered by the barber. The barber!
3: I himself forgot his prayer and rust right upstairs and took a bowstring from his shelf and came back to bamboo. Oh, oh, oh the youth and maidens,
1: then he took his children, him, bolts and nothing altogether. Pitched him in the front of Kedrin near Jerusalem. Oh, the nice life,
4: about exhausted my impatience with you. Why? Packing all this useless junk back in that closet. How about these old books?
2: What old books? Let's see them. Oh, then. Well, that's my correspondence course in taxidermy. Uh,
4: Taxidermy. Why on earth did you want to study taxidermy? Well,
2: how did I know it meant stuffing birds and animals? (laughs) And there I was, stuck with a chauffeur's license, a city map, and a pair of puttees.
4: (laughs) Well, hurry up and put your playthings back in the closet. Okay. Looks terrible laying around here on the floor oh. with
2: that... I'll get it. Hello? No, this is the McGee residence. You got the wrong number. Oh, is that you, Mert?
4: Uh, <laughs> egad get every week the same thing. <laughs> Apologies for skinny Ennis.
2: How's every little thing, Mert? What say? Your Uncle Gulliver. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, no. And they ain't found the body yet, huh? Oh,
4: heavenly days, McGee. What happened?
2: Mert's uncle drove his car off a cliff and had to walk home. They found the chassis up in a tree, but they don't know where the body is. What say, Mert? Oh, that's okay, Mert. Everybody has the wrong number now and then. Except Irving Berlin. (laughs) Well, now, let's see. McGee,
4: why are you saving this long stick of bamboo?
2: Why, Molly, that's, that's got a very definite purpose. If I was offered a job as sparring partner for Joe Lewis, that's the 10-foot pole I wouldn't touch it with.
4: (laughs) See, I got it right. Oh, for goodness sake. Mm. Come in. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppingson? So nice to see you. Do, you do, Mrs. McGee and Mr. McGee. Hi, Uppy. Good heavens, what a... Oh, my, it looks like there had been an explosion in here. <laughs> no, just some things that fell out of the closet, Mrs. Uppington. McGee had everything in there but the kitchen sink. Oh, really? Everything but the kitchen sink? Oh, my, isn't that amusing? <laughs> Oh, but what I came in for, Mrs. McGee, was to tell you about the symphony concert I've been planning with Maestro Mills. Oh yes, the symphony concert. Well, it's about time something was happening about that, Mrs. Uppington.
2: I've been waiting so long for that concert, Uppy. I'm, I'm even getting suspicious of Billy Mills I'm afraid he's a non-conductor. <laughs>
4: Well, we must be patient, you know. There's been so many difficulties. For one thing, we're having trouble with the facilities at the Eagles Hall. Oh. Oh, What's wrong, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, it's the Eagles, my dear. The Eagles? Yes, they're all roosting up in the rafters, and during rehearsals, they drop eggs on the orchestra.
2: (laughs) You ought to call them down and give them seats in the first row, uppie. (laughs) Them birds are critics.
4: (laughs) Yes, indeed, they certainly. Oh, now, please, Miss McGee. It's discouraging enough as it is.
2: I heard they had a kind of an accident during rehearsal the other night. Oh, I think.
4: yes, and it was so embarrassing. And so? Yes, the musician playing the electric guitar reached for a high note. And blew every cube in the building. Oh my. oh, my, but those dear, dear boys went right on playing, just as if nothing had happened. No, really, Mrs. Upington. But how could they read their music in the dark? Oh, my dear. That's exactly what I asked Dr. Mills. And he said in his most delightful manner oh, yes. Don't worry about it, babe. Those nugs can't even read music with a light on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was just too gay. <laughs> or am I being a silly girl?
3: <laughs> I, be I, I
1: I must be going. Goodbye.
3: Goodbye, Abigail.
4: Isn't she ridiculous, McGee? Yeah. All the time she's back in that symphony orchestra, she's dreaming about Billy Mill.
2: Well, that's always been a pretty romantic spot, down by the old Mill's dream.
4: <laughs> Don't you
2: get it, Molly? I says, down by the...
4: funny, McGee. Oh, well
2: spontaneous. Where was I? Say, oh, yeah.
4: Uh, do you really think you can get all this stuff back in that closet? Why,
2: sure I can. And I don't want anybody touching these things either, but me. They're too valuable.
4: Oh.
2: I'd have had it done an hour ago if I hadn't have been interfered with.
4: All right, you do it then. Huh? I've got some work to do in the kitchen.
2: All right, I'll get it. Dad, I wish somebody'd crawl in through the window just for the novelty of it. Come in.
3: Oh, there, McGee. Oh, it's you. Yeah, just thought I'd come by and tell you that... Well, my goodness, what's all this?
2: Oh, just something out of my closet. I'm straightening it up. Hey, Gildersleeve,
3: put that hatchet down. I'll do no such thing. That's my Boy Scout hatchet you borrowed last summer.
2: <laughs> Dad, glad it ain't nothing of the kind. That's my Boy Scout hatchet. Look at the insignia on the handle there. Owl Patrol. Well, I belong to the Owl Patrol myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you and the Owl Patrol. Why, you don't even know the password of the owl patrol Who? Well, somebody must have told you (laughs) Listen here, Gildersleeve, I bet you don't know a thing about scouting I do, too I was an Eagle Scout with 26 merit badges Oh, go on, can you tie a sheep shank? Can you imitate the mating cry of the chimney swallow? Uh, can you tell which way is
3: north when you're lost in the wood? Certainly. How? Oh. I face south and then turn around quick. Look, <laughs> <laughs> well, Gildersleeve, if you're really a scout, you can
2: do your daily good turn by scrambling out of here and letting me finish putting this stuff back in the closet.
3: Well, all right, McGee. Uh, you're sure that isn't my hatchet?
2: On my word of honor as a member of the Alpha Patrol, Gildersleeve.
3: Well, all right, McGee. I'll see you later. Okay. Uh, say. Huh? Uh, give me the password again, will you?
2: Who? Who? <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh,
2: boy, Scott, that guy couldn't build a fire in a hay mob by rubbing two sticks of dynamite together. <laughs> oh, well, i got to get the rest of it. like about all of it. Yep. It's all packed back in there. Boy, what a job. Hey, Molly! Molly! What is it,
4: McGee? Look,
2: I got all that stuff back in the closet. All straightened out.
4: Splendid, McGee, splendid. And
2: after this one, you want something out of there. Let me get it for you.
4: All right. Yep. But now that you got the dictionary out of there, why don't you leave it out? We may need it again. Oh. What's the matter?
2: I forgot to leave it out. I, I packed the dictionary back in there. Oh.
4: Oh, heavenly day. David. Now, hey, now, you
2: stay away from there. I know exactly where I put it.
4: I, I can get it out without the
1: oh. 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 oh, Molly.
2: Molly! Molly! Yeah? I found the dictionary. How do you spell Anahiliated? <laughs>
4: That junk of yours is positively not going back into that closet. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, I- Hey,
2: wait a minute. Wrong routine.
4: <laughs> well, all right, then. But if it does go back in there, I'll arrange it myself. Now, you keep your hands off at this time.
2: You're going to do it all by yourself? I am. Fine. As the fat lady says, when she took off her corset, that lets me out. McGee.
4: <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. Good night.
3: This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Bob Justin Company.
0: Well, that was Fibber McGee and Molly, and that was first broadcast on NBC on March the 5th, 1940. The name of the episode was Cleaning the Hall Closet. And uh, that was the first time that the hall closet gag was used, but it was to be used multiple times again and again and again. What a classic routine. And how everybody would sit in anticipation, hoping. Now, I understand that's really true of the studio audience because everybody in the studio audience wanted to see how they did it on stage. And so (laughs) everybody in the studio audience would hope that uh, this night, when they had actual tickets and got to go see Fibber McGee and Molly's show being, being done live, uh, that they would get to see the hall closet routine. They didn't do it every week. They were, they were smart that way. They would leave you uh, without that for several weeks, and then you were hungry for it. And when it happened, it was a, a very pleasant surprise indeed. Did you notice, I'm sure you noticed, the surprise guest was Gracie Allen, and she was running for president? Ah, yes. I want to read you something here. Now, this is from a website entitled Middle Floss. <laughs> kind of interesting. But many, many things have been written about this. But I thought this was pretty concise. It says, when Franklin D. Roosevelt decided to run for an unprecedented third term The competition seemed to stop trying. It said the, uh, well, it goes into the fact that the the Republicans were running uh, Wendell Wilkie, uh, but FDR seemed to have the race locked up. That is until George Burns decided to shake things up. In early 1940, the comedian hatched a scheme to have his wife, Gracie, run for office as the surprise party candidate. When Alan made her announcement on the couple's radio show that February, she and Burns thought that they'd get a few chuckles and some promotional buzz. But to the pair's shock, the idea caught on with the glum electorate. It didn't matter that Alan's platform made no sense. One of her proposed programs involved offering correspondence courses for unemployed workers so they could fail to find jobs in three or four different industries. <laughs> She also refused to share the ticket with a vice presidential nominee, claiming she didn't want any vice in the White House, and promised to settle the Florida-California border dispute. Although the stunt was obviously a joke, vote for Gracie buttons popped up around the country. Harvard students pledged their support for Allen's campaign. A Minnesota town offered her the mayor's job. Allen and Byrne's modest stunt went as viral as anything could in the pre-YouTube era. The pair even mounted a real campaign, I say real in quotation marks, with Allen embarking on a 34-city whistle-stop train tour that drew hundreds of thousands of supporters. The silliness escalated. In May of 1940, the surprise party held its own convention. All 8,000 delegates in attendance, 8,000, threw their support behind the Gracie Allen ticket. But shortly after the event, the comedian put the brakes on her gag campaign. In a rare, serious moment, Allen acknowledged the country was in rough shape. Everyone had enjoyed the laugh, but it was time for the real candidates to get their messages out. In the end, of course, Roosevelt uh, beat Wilkie, piling up over 27 million popular votes on his way to his third term. Oddly, several thousand Americans still cast their votes for a dark horse candidate who had ended her campaign months earlier, Gracie Allen of the Surprise Party. And part of her campaigning was making surprise appearances on all the uh, shows that would have her, and I imagine most did. I I don't know if it was strictly NBC shows or if it was just across across the spectrum, across the dial. But uh, it became a real phenomenon. And you can still go onto eBay and places like that and find campaign buttons that say Gracie for president. <laughs> This is April the 19th, 2021, and we're so, so glad you came along. We hope you enjoyed our selection. Tomorrow, we're going to get things serious, and we're going to present an old-time radio drama. And we'll tell you all about that one tomorrow. But you need to come back here to listen to that, because it's imperative that you get a balanced meal through the weeks. You need the comedy on Monday, but then you have to offset that with some drama and then we then we uh, uh tickle your your imagination we get your creative juices flowing as you try to solve a mystery on wednesday and then of course we slide into the weekend with our thursday western so this is this is a well thought out well balanced program believe me. anyway <laughs> glad you glad you came along 1940 you would think that we didn't know Today, you know, those of us who say the baby boom generation don't really know the music of 1940, And you, you would be right to some degree. But I'm going to play two big, big songs, big, big selling songs, uh, two of the top selling songs of 1940 and see if it doesn't uh, change your mind a little bit. The first one is by Glenn Miller, who had, uh, of the top... Um, Oh, I guess 50 songs, uh, top-selling songs, top 50s. Uh, let me say this right. Of the top 50 selling songs, is that right? The top-selling song, the 50 top-selling songs. <laughs> it's early in the morning, folks. Of the 50 top-selling songs of 1940, I bet you he had eight or nine of them. He was really popular. And you can see why when you listen to this, this song going out. We heard this done by the Glenn Miller Orchestra live several times at Disneyland. Of course, I think there was only one surviving member. And, uh, but, you know, still, they really did recreate the sound. And I've said this before, that it must have been exciting to uh, actually listen to a big band live. Uh, Must have really been exciting. Must have been exciting. I can imagine sitting in Fibber McGee and Molly's audience listening to uh, listening to Billy Mills and the orchestra and, and I bet it was just really really exciting. Okay so we're going to go out with Glenn Miller and then we're going to go out with a very very popular song that you are going to know by Cliff Edwards and if you don't know who Cliff Edwards is you know him by a different name perhaps and you'll see as we go out. Alright I'm talking too much this is Bob Broome I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me.